I'm Esper Quinn. Hey, I'm Chris. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Esper, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hello, I am Esper Quinn. I'm the editor of a podcast called Topic Lords. Uh, it's the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. And uh, this is my first time on the show. So uh, I I encourage people to check out Topic Lords. I want to recommend that. Uh, it's something I'm very proud of. That Me too. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's it's really fun. And anyone who listens to Topic Lords would probably really enjoy it. So that's my recommendation. I mean, if you if you like Topic Lords, you'll probably like Topic Lords. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the Venn diagram is necessarily, but I feel like there's got to be some crossover there. Man, I hope so. If not, I need to work <laughs> on my, my logical relationships. The number one podcast for Topic Lords fans. That's right. Even for Topic fans. It's definitely number one. Certainly. I, I know we're mid-intro, but I would love to hear more about what it's like editing this show. We can both speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jim Jim has done that. I'm sure he's edited far more than I have, in fact. I actually edited um, the show that's coming up on Monday, the, on, on Christmas Day. And on that show, both guests praised Esper and thanked Esper Aww. very <laughs> vociferously. <laughs> My goodness. And That's... and you didn't get to hear it because you didn't edit that episode. <laughs> there was there was just some some uh sensitive material I decided I wanted to give it a give a personal touch to. No problem on my end. Hey. I appreciate it. So so tell us about your process. Oh wow. Well, we'll down everything is sent over to me from a, a sync.com account, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I download that, I throw it in a folder, I extract that, I throw it in Audacity, and I now it's much easier because everything is already pre-synced thanks to uh, the recording software we're using here. Then I throw it into Adobe Premiere, which is video editing software, even though I use it almost exclusively for audio, just because that's what I was trained on. Uh, and then just chop at it for a couple hours and export the MP3, send it back to you. Yeah. That yeah, takes yeah. maybe... Uh, if I sat down and did the whole thing all at once, it'd probably take me six hours ish. Oh, wow. I don't I know should, if I, I should, should even be admitting that. I should but, be paying you more. Well, you know, I, I, I haven't negotiated anything like that. Don't, don't <laughs> worry. I'm perfectly happy with that. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. When I, oh. um, when I edited the show, I had a two-step process. One was, uh, after, after lining up all the audio and pre-processing it, I would, um, do a first pass edit. And this was in Vegas, by the way. So similarly, a video. Editor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's funny. Uh, I would do a, a first step, a first pass where I would just cut out the parts where we're talking over each other and like moving people's talking, or moving people's uh, voices around. So they, so everybody can be heard. All the interesting things people say can be heard. Sure. Whoa. And then render that out to a single channel and then edit that channel for what parts are actually interesting. For, for brevity and wit. Right, that, that and I, I and I found that to be uh, more efficient than trying to do both at once. <laughs> well, I uh, generally lean on the side of just leaving it all in there because who am I to judge some kind of editor to say what is <laughs> and isn't important? Uh, I mean, well, I, I um I definitely edit pretty intensively. Like, I, I mean, this might end up being the same thing because our episodes sound pretty much the same. <laughs> but like I think of it as like it's my job to make everybody sound like a genius. Sure. So I need to cut out. I need to cut out all the parts where people say something dumb or boring, 
<laughs> well, I think everyone on here is always a genius, and all of it is perfect gold forever. So. Well, after after you're done with it, that we are, we are. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, like what what percent of recording is slag? I'm also curious what the anti episode would sound like, like all the parts that yeah, get cut I've, out. I've, I've definitely. Oh wow! If I had some way to like tell <laughs> Vegas to say everything I delete, put it in its own file instead of just throwing it away. Like, there's no easy mm-hmm. way to do that. I would have done it already because, like, I also think, like, yeah, just the episodes with just the ums and the mouth pop, like the mouth <laughs> smacking noises. Mm-hmm. You're describing literally a nightmare for me. <laughs> uh, I, I would, I for for the benefit of everyone listening at home, I will edit in three seconds of what that would be right here. I would. I, uh, I um. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. When I um. Okay. Uh, um, um, yeah, I, I, uh, um, oh no. Okay. Yeah. That was bad. Right. That was not good. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> it, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit that at least Jim, what you were saying that you like, when people talk over each other, you shift it so yeah. that everyone can be heard. Yeah. Like if zoom could figure that out, that would be, that would be a, a revolution. Well, then I would be out of a job, though, because that's like 90% of what I'm <laughs> oh, doing. Oh, that's fair. Oh, well, Zoom also needs to be able to figure out when people are saying something dumb and cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it varies. Um, I actually made a couple of examples uh, to show Esper when I first gave her the job um, of like, here's, here are two examples of like edits that I've made. I think I might still have those lying around, uh, but one of them was like uh, a a, a regular like here's a regular conversation here's like a fucking off the wall conversation that <laughs> everybody that, like i needed to cut out two-thirds of it but what was left was brilliant yeah uh uh yeah i i i, I have in the past put together a little demo reel of like here's what raw audio sounds like and then here's me editing it sped up 50 times speed and here's what it sounds like after And it made me realize almost nobody knows what I actually do, uh, (laughs) which is a valuable thing because I can just tell them it's very impressive. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting because it's like, like if you, Esper, do your job perfectly, then it's it's unnoticeable. It's only noticeable (laughs) otherwise. I I wonder if there's a... uh, there's a game show in which it's like a, t- a 20 second topic Lords clip is played. And it's like, who edited these 20 seconds? <laughs> I'll, I'll cut out 20 minutes of this episode at random for me to edit for Jim <laughs> to edit. And we'll uh, face off. Okay. It's funny you mention that because that's how I feel is that like, I should be invisible to the process. I just want to present what is recorded here at the best possible quality respect the audience, et cetera. But the only stuff that people like, wow, I love Esper's editing is when there's like an intentional call out where someone's like, put a sound effect in here. And then I put uh-huh. it in and everyone's like, that's the funniest thing anyone's ever done. <laughs> so it, there's a, a strange dissonance there. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I, I always like the little uh, sonic ring noise, inter- like uh, <laughs> just like, it's just like waving to the audience, basically. I allow myself to say yes and no to things with the right. sonic ring noise and the sonic, I guess, damage noise or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't recognize the buzzer sound, but yeah. It is also from Sonic 2. I just okay. have a, a big <laughs> pack awesome. of Sonic 2 sound effects. Right. 
Chris, have you introduced yourself? Nope. Would you like to do that? Yeah, I'm Chris. Uh, I go by Chal sometimes. I really enjoy being on Topic Lore. That's great. I make video games. Would you also. recommend it? Oh, uh, definitely. It's very comforting to listen to. And I think that is likely because I know Jim. Well, actually, I don't know. It, it's like really interesting, but also comforting. Yeah, it's, it's nice to just to just put on while I'm doing other things. It is a pleasant show. I want to make a cozy, pleasant show. That's my goal. Filled with really fun, like extremely fun facts often. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, is, this has been a, this is a pleasant 15-minute ad for Topic Lords, the podcast you're already <laughs> listening to. And for editing podcasts using video software. Yes. Strongly recommend it. Hey, it's, it's how you make a show. When I learned to use audio software, I, it was just like a... I don't even know what you, what you call the difference in in um, in editing modes, but like I still think of like when I o- open something up in an audio editor, I just have the, there's no like timeline. It's just like here's a big strip of data, and if I'm cutting things out of it, I have to like select and delete, and like if I want to move something around, I have to cut and paste is rather than dragging a clip. And I'm, I'm sure. sure there's audio editing editing software that works at using that paradigm but i'm so accustomed to the old way when i when i think of audio editing that um that's just how i that's just uh, i automatically uh my my brain just goes there mm-hmm. you're prepped for that paradigm the yeah. video comes from a long weird history of i i edited on an actual like Steenbeck editing bay editing actual film in college and it was a Whoa. very weird experience because all of a sudden i was like oh Adobe Premiere is just a metaphor for all of these literal things in front of me. Like there's an actual razor blade instead of the blade tool. There's actual bins that hold footage instead of just folders called bins. It was a very weird experience. Yeah. I've never, I've never done it personally, but I, the thing that I remember is that there, there's like a, a demagnetization station. You have to demagnetize your razor every time <laughs> you use it, use it. Or else you're going to make a popping noise on everything you edit. Really? I was cutting together a silent film, so I didn't have to worry about that. But <laughs> okay. I, I did All hear right. about that. Perhaps a flash of white then. <laughs> I didn't think about this. Videotape is actually like you can you can literally see the frames as like phys- physically on the tape, right? Not, not tape. A vi- a film. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very different experience. Like being able to see each individual picture that's interesting like if you're editing physical film is the audio well i guess if you're editing silent films there's no audio right like, yeah. would the like is the movie audio recorded like on the same piece of plastic or whatever yeah so do you, do you know about this with video uh i have a vague idea of how it works it's all magnetized it's right. it's sort of sending a a data stream with video is just interleaved interleave data with tape i mean yes yeah yes with tape uh with film it is literal like frames of a photograph that have been negative exposed to reactive film that is all in one big long string Mm -hmm. you get 24 of those every second and you run it through Mm -hmm. at that many seconds per that many frames per second but then how do they get the audio on there they record it separately and play it separately uh, because oh, that's geez. how film was. There's, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Singing in the Rain, it is about like the audio era of Hollywood where they have to learn how to hide microphones in places to capture dialogue and stuff. It's very good. Recommend it. <laughs> Interesting. That's neat. Wait, so Chris, did you introduce yourself? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I did now, yeah. Okay, good. Are you ready to start on some topics? Absolutely. Always. Uh, Chris, your topic is geocaching. Yeah, geocaching is an activity that I don't do often, but I always enjoy when I do. Um, if you're not familiar, imagine Pokemon Go, <laughs> where you are walking <laughs> around the real world interacting with game objects, except in geocaching, the game objects are like physical boxes and things that exist in the real world so they'll be hidden like on hiking trails or in little magnetic containers stuck to the bottom of a stairwell or something yeah and 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 like you get instructions for where to find them from like geocaching forums right so so on the website on the geocaching website or they have different apps uh third party and first party you can see on a map like the gps coordinates of different geocaches and they'll usually be pretty accurate and have some some description about the area and some hint about how to actually find the geocache. But yeah, I think it's a bigger deal in Europe than it is in the United States, but there's still tons of them everywhere. Like any trip I've ever taken anywhere, there are many geocaches on every trail and in every town. But yeah, it's real it's like a cool in real life hunting for treasure game and if you're out in the wilderness the boxes tend to be a little bit bigger so sometimes they have like little toys and stuff in them and one of my favorite things that geocaching has there are these things called travel bugs which are like little trinkets that have a code like a numerical code on them and you can type the code into the website and it'll show you every single place that that tag has gone and what you're supposed to do is grab it from one geocache and then on your next trip, you travel, say, to a different state or something. You put it into a different geocache, and then the oh, next nice. person will grab it and move it on. Oh, it's like, where's George? The last one that I found had traveled like 80,000 miles because it had just Jeez. gone back and forth across yeah, went to the, the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, basically. <laughs> they went on one trip to the moon and back. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and beat every record. I'm almost certain there's not a geocache on the moon, but there's only one way to be sure. Which is to check the website. <laughs> this is this sounds like a hobby I ought to get into because I've been I need to find more excuses to go hiking. Ha- have you ever done it by yourself or with somebody before? No, I have gone geo hashing. What's that? Which is a completely separate activity that is I think deliberately named to be confusing. Good job. <laughs> okay. Uh, geo hashing is this is something that XKCD the guy invented. Uh, but the idea <laughs> is you take, I, I think you take like the stock market information for that for, for today. You do a math formula to it and it gives you, um, the decimal value of a, uh, of a latitude longitude coordinate. Okay. And the idea is like there's going to be a geo hash meetup at that coordinate for every, uh, integer lat- latitude longitude pair. Uh huh. Do you follow? <laughs> Yeah, so some are easier to get to than others. Yes. You know, like a lot of them are going to be on boats. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's the thing. Like when th- I did this like in, gosh, 2008 maybe, and I was living in the Bay Area, still living in the Bay Area, but I was then too. Uh, the Bay Area, I think it's called the Graticule, is mostly water. And so a, a good meetup is rare. But this week or this that day, it was like right in a public park, like very convenient Uh, And so I went and met up with some cool folks and then we went and played board games at, oh, I forget his name now, but he was one of the the, um, game designers who worked on System Shock at Looking Glass, which was neat. 
So geohashing was was very real for a second. It, there was like there was like twelve people who showed up at this coordinate. That's wild. I don't know if that, this would still happen because it was probably mm-hmm. like recently just invented. Um, but I think everybody was excited. It's like, oh, the, the coordinate, the geohash coordinate is accessible today, mm-hmm. and it was like it was like on a weekend. It was very convenient. Every, everyone there should bring a small toy to put in a box that you bury there. And then, right. Yeah. Yeah. Complete the circle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. Yeah. That it uses like stock market data as its source of randomness. So there's no way to know, like, oh, next weekend it's going to be also at a public park. So I'll, I'll plan to be there. You have to wake up and find out. Yeah. Good times. It was Marc LeBlanc. Okay. Right on. Oh, that's cool. He had a, he had a French pun for his board game night. I can't remember what it was because it was in French. <laughs> that makes sense. It, it was like House of Games in French, and I think it rhymed. Okay. So clever. <laughs> uh, Esper, are you familiar with geocaching at all? Yeah, I've I've heard of geocaching. I would say my experience with geocaching was I've had an iPhone 3G, so it would have been probably more than a decade ago. And I was like at a park and I got two steps into like a chain of things. And I was like, I don't think I'm getting this next one. This is complicated. And then I never went back to it. But I see now I'm in the Pacific Northwest now. It's a lot more opportunities for hiking. It's it's something I could check out. Cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. I I guess it sounds like y'all are, or you are an iPhone user. I only know about this one third-party Android app called C colon Geo, which is the one that I use. It's just like a very, like you like, I don't know if you need your credentials to see the map, but uh, it doesn't make you pay for anything, which I think the official site wants to. Um, but yeah, there, there's a park near my house called Lake Merritt. And there is this, so there's geocaches all over the place. They can be in cities and stuff too. Um, yeah. But it was, it was just like in the middle of this park near my house. And my partner and I, I was like, hey, let's go do this thing called geocaching. Let's go look for this thing. We looked for like an hour and we were like, we're pretty sure it's on this one tree based on the hint. And we're just like climbing up and down this tree trying to find it. And then it ended up being like, it was like, you have to walk up this branch and then there's another branch coming above you and there's a knot in the tree and there's like this tiny paper clip, like rusted paper clip sticking out of the knot. And when you pull it, it like pulls off a fake piece of bark that you can like (laughs) open up and it has the the little log so it's like a, a rolled up sheet of paper that everybody writes their name on every once in a while there's one like that that's just like so wild there's there's one i found in texas that was just like a rock among other rocks but it was like it had a screw cap on the bottom it was crazy <laughs> wow it feels like it makes you feel like you're in an episode of get smart or something <laughs> yeah yeah it's cool and it's all around you all the time <laughs> that people are constantly geocaching within your field of view and you would never know. Yep, that's tr- probably true, especially in Europe. I think I might actually have one of those travel bug things in my house somewhere that I should deliver. So if you are the the one who picks up the the travel bug or whatever, do you have to start a geocache at that point so that someone else can come find it? You can put it in any other geocache. Oh, okay, okay. So often, like when people take a like a big trip, they'll 
they'll take them. They're, they're pretty rare to find because I, I think it'll show on the website if one, like if somebody logs that they put it somewhere, somebody else will be like, oh, cool. I want to get that. And they'll go get it because they're like kind of rare and cool. Pretty neat. Have you ever, have you like written up a puzzle or hidden anything? Like my friend who I first got into it with, like probably about 10 years ago, we made two, but we like got too lazy and never punched them into the website. But it's probably good because both of them, when we went back to look for them later, they were gone. So that one of the thing, like you're supposed to try to not have that be easy to happen. And also, um, like if you post it, you're responsible for making sure it stays there. So generally you want to post it like relatively close to where you live. Pretty neat. I would definitely try and find like ways to obscure it in the environment. I think hiding it in fake tree part pretty good there's also a lot of like fake screws where like it's like it looks like a bolt but the screw part screws out of the end of the bolt and there's like a hollow inside and Mm. so often like on a street sign you might find one of those and it just looks like part of the street sign but if you look carefully you're like there is an (laughs) extra bolt there (laughs) i forget what they call it there's there's a word for it on the website that's kind of like the spidey sense that you develop after finding a few of like kind of knowing what to look for and and where to look like what seems a little bit out of place um, that makes it a lot easier to find them. Have you ever been walking around somewhere and just went, wait a minute, I feel like there's a geocache here. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually wrong, though. It's usually like <laughs> it's like, oh, no, we passed it like half a mile ago or whatever. I think there was a geocache under that bridge. <laughs> oh well oh well somebody else can find it are we ready for another topic shoot mm-hmm. uh esper your, your topic is the miu mini and other handheld emulation consoles yeah so i am also the editor of a show called insert credit where they talk about old video games a lot i am a millennial so i have played quite a few old video games but certainly not all of them because i was also poor uh, but now I'm emulating everything and I wanted some actual hardware to play it on. Started looking into that and these little handheld emulation devices are pretty good now and super cheap. The MiU Mini Plus is the one I ended up going with. It's like 60 bucks and it plays everything from PlayStation 1-ish backwards. I, I haven't run into any PS1 games or anything that are a problem with it. I am having a very good time mostly playing fan translations of Japanese games on the PS1 because even though it's a handheld, which the PlayStation 1 was not, it somehow feels slightly more authentic than playing on my very large, nice PC monitor. Interesting. That a lot of Game Boy Advance stuff, I'm playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance One of the problems is that I keep just going back to the games that I already like, even though I have thousands of other games on here. I think anytime you fire up any emulator, you should play Sonic 2 first. Okay. It's just a a good, fast game. See how things run. Are you guys playing anything old right now? Are you uh, looking at hardware options for emulation? The thing that interested me in the Miu Mini is that it apparently plays Pico 8 games. Yeah. Definitely. So you, you've messed with this thing a little bit. Do you know if it connects to Splore, to the Splore network? Uh, so not presently, but I do know that that is something that is being integrated. So the thing with the Miu Mini and all of these sort of handhelds is that 
the stock firmware and OS is not very good, but because it's just a, a little chip running off an SD card, people have made custom firmwares that are extremely well developed at this point, and they are adding features that the manufacturers did not. So there's like Nintendo DS emulation on there now. There's full Pico 8 stuff. And I know that like integration with Splore is a thing that's going to happen because there's there's Wi-Fi built into it. What is Splore? The Splore is a feature of Pico 8 where um, if you're at the Pico 8 command line, you can type Splore, which is short for Explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll give you um, a list of all the games that have been uploaded to the Lexalawful BBS, which is the website of the Pico 8 developer, uh, mm-hmm. in various ways to search and sort. So it's just a very uh, convenient way to find new games to play mm-hmm. from, from within the system. Yeah, and I, I haven't gotten to get hands-on with that yet, but I know that that is a thing. And then that feels almost like the dream of the play date, where you have a handheld that brings you fresh, weird little games every time you open it up. Right. But no crank on this, so not nearly (laughs) as fun. I was talking to my friend, I think it was yesterday, about the analog pocket, which I think is a similar idea. But it's specific. I think it's specific to Game Boy, right? Like it's... The analog pocket is like a... What's the the word for this? Is it it FPGA? FPGA, FPGA, yes. Yeah. It's an extremely fancy way of doing emulation that as far as I can tell isn't any more like real than software emulation is but uh and so like I think that that part of it is bullshit but it is a very (laughs) apparently a very slick well-produced piece of hardware like when I saw that and this is actually relevant to the um to the conversation to the topic when I when I heard about the analog pocket and I was reading about it I was like you know there's gotta be like a, a cheap like uh handheld d- emulates everything which by the way the analog pocket doesn't right mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're they're just like slowly rolling out new um and i think that i think those those aren't even like official right they're like they're kind of side loaded in like different different um emulators different cores yeah different cores right uh when i heard about this i i, I went and i got an anbernic r r something letters numbers r's yeah 35 something something uh, which I assumed would be like, this has got to be just as good or better. And it was terrible. It was like yes. <laughs> like some of the worst like software, like the hardware was fine. The software experience, the OS and the um, uh, the emulation wasn't too bad, but the o- the OS was, was an interface was bad. Like you boot up half the time, there would be nothing there. Like be, there would be like no games in your lists. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like uh, in order to uh, suspend your game, you had to hit you hold hold B and then you push like the the OS specific like alternate button. It would be like if to copy text, you had to hit C control so that yeah. first you would type the letter C and then the only thing you could copy is the letter C. <laughs> that sounds yeah, pretty the, bad. The the stock software on these things is is absolutely hot garbage. Exactly. Like that was something I never considered was that like, oh, you know what I need to do is I need to research what do I replace this stock OS with? And there's probably mm. a community out there that's built something that's much better. Indeed there is. Never looked into that. I can only speak on the MiU in particular, but it seems like that's what people do with these is buy the 
anywhere from like forty to eighty dollar handheld, and then some group of cool people will code together actually good software for it and uh, right. run the right emulators. People will work out over a Reddit over the course of a year or two. Oh, this is the game that you you would run this emulator core for this game, and right. here's a pack mm-hmm. of games that we know will work with it perfectly. And uh, it, it, I come at the tail end of all of this so it was like a night of work for me and now it's perfect i even made like custom themes out of little uh jpegs i had sitting around because it's just it's basically winamp skins Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool yeah i'm having a real good time with it i will say there's all these cool games that i have heard people talk about for years and i just keep going back to like tekken 3 Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i think like I remember feeling a feeling like that when I went to the the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment in Oakland like a few years ago because they have tons of old consoles with like multi carts on them. Oh yeah, but there's like you know like a trillion games to try. So yeah, so to me it was important to be like first armed with knowing exactly what I want to play when walking in there. And there's actually this one bar that uh, my partner and I found in Japan that was like, it was just like a video game bar that was only had Americans in it, basically. But <laughs> they had, I think it was an Atari 2600 and a stack of like 10 games, which is a very reasonable number to just sit there and flip through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that that was a great experience because I hadn't heard of any of the games. And I think my takeaway was that Marble Madness is kind of cool. Sure. <laughs> um, maybe there was one other one that was cool. You said for the twenty six hundred. I might be wrong about which. I thought it it was an Atari something. I'm just trying to imagine a Marble Madness port for the twenty six hundred. That would be really impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure I'm getting the console wrong. Uh, fair enough. Fair. But but point taken though. Like and and the idea of here's ten good games. It seems like in many respects this is a much better way to experience a system you don't know about than like. Here's every game the system has. Definitely. There's a lot of dilemma yeah. of choice going on. But that is solved by one really neat little feature that's at least in the custom firmware, which is the random button. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Where I can just press that and like, oh, I guess I'm playing Pop and Twin B tonight. Mm-hmm. And, so, and is it, does it give priority to the good games? Oh, absolutely not. But it shouldn't. <laughs> I, wouldn't I wouldn't want that because... Uh, I, I want to at least like my my rule of thumb is whatever game it gives me, I'm gonna play for at least 10 minutes, even if I'm really bad or the game is broken or what. Because I want to at least know what that game is so that I can say, oh yeah, that sucked. I didn't make it past 10 minutes. Right. Maybe what it should do is hash the previous day's stock market data and use that <laughs> to determine how to which game everybody plays. Everybody gets the same game, yeah. As Wi-Fi, it should be able to do this. There's this one game that I played at like a a gathering recently that I I remember seeing Bennett Foddy's name on it, but it's basically like an emulator super game where it's like it's like four players play, but each point in the game is like played in a different emulated video game. So it'll like load up a video game into like the middle of a match, and then you like score one goal in a soccer game or like get one point in like rampage or something i forget what it's called but um that that also 
I think was a cool solution to the problem of what do I play? It's like, here, you're playing this for the next 25 seconds and then you're <laughs> going to play something else. Multiple. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. And that's another game that like legally cannot exist. <laughs> yeah. It can only, it can only be distributed through like torrents and, and through people handing each other CDs. Or I guess nowadays it would be USB sticks. Only playable by cool people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like for a while, um, do you remember when, uh, Johann Sebastian Joust. Oh yeah, I played a bunch of that at. Pats. Do you remember when that was just a game played by by the people who knew the developer? It took like it <laughs> mm. took like I think multiple years back when that was a long time uh, for this for this game to become a shipping product to the point where like this is this is this game is simple enough that it could be a folk game like you could play it with like glasses of water in the park. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you got to have music though, right? Yeah, that's true. You got to have the music. But like people made clones of this for like the iPhone using the accelerometers in the iPhone. For anyone who doesn't know the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, a song plays and you are holding an object that can be knocked out of your hand or or at least tilted and jostled by someone. Uh, and if that happens, you're out. But the music speeds up and slows down and the sensitivity of jostling required to get you out increases or decreases along with the speed of the song. Is that sound? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it's, you have people just like running up to each other with one hand, trying to stay absolutely still wildly waving their arm in the face of another person to try and get them to fall over or something. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, and I've seen people be extremely good at this game and they are savages. I, I have seen a meta develop where people dangle the the PlayStation Move controller from their wrist to try and stop any any. But at that point, people start kicking at the controller. Oh and, man, yeah. <laughs> I'm like looking at my microphone now, which has the like anti vibration like <laughs> yeah thing yeah going on. I'm like hmm. <laughs> start bringing that in uh, uh, uh -huh. a, a mesh cube to keep it safe inside. <laughs> That's neat. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My topic is, I still think I could have made it as a highly paid Super Mario Brothers 35 coach. I should have gone for it. Elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Super Mario Brothers 35 was a game that existed for like six months, like around the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers. And it was a Super Mario Brothers Battle Royale, basically, Whoa. where... In the in the vein of you can still play like Tetris ninety nine or F Zero ninety nine on the Switch. Mario Mario thirty five was one of those where like you are playing effectively Super Mario Brothers, but the way you play the game affects the way thirty four other people are playing the game, <laughs> and you are trying to be the last one, the last one to die, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was incredibly good at this game because I'm good at Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. Just just like the from. <laughs> From a lifetime of being obsessed with Mario platformers, basically. And it's it's one of the only multiplayer games that I was able to play without social anxiety. Largely, I think, because it's you can barely interact with another player. It's more like a race. Mm -hmm. Where, like, you, you know how in a race, you, like, race at the same time as other people. It's kind of a multiplayer game. <laughs> but you're actually just playing the same game in parallel. Like, yeah. you, you, <laughs> I guess some kinds of race... You don't stay in lanes. You like can like, get in each other's way and shit. But this is it is kind of like that. Where like so at Super Mario Brothers thirty five, anytime you uh, smush a Goomba or whatever, 
or, or you, you, uh, you kill a, a Koopa Troopa, that enemy goes into someone else's game. What? Oh my <laughs> you God. You get Tetris garbage. <laughs> right. Which means that, um, the, as, as, as enemies accrue in the game, they never go away. They just build up <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're always somewhere. And like, as you get down to like, you know, there being four or five people left in the game, there's like, you know, they're, they're just clouds of Lakitu's throwing spinies at you. Uh, and that's where the game really gets fun. And so the thing that I, I would do that I think was really successful that I think most people weren't doing is that I think a lot of people were like trying to rush ahead. And I really found it to be extremely uh, effective to just hang back, to play at a walking speed. And not like, not that this advice can help anybody now. <laughs> because you can't play the game anymore. They took it down because they wanted to make it a um, an event. Uh-huh. Like how the um, Super Mario 3D All-Stars was like available for a limited time. It's their way of doing Fortnite seasons. <laughs> right. I see. That sounds really fun, though. Now I want to try it. I also was not aware that F-099 is a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm not incredible at F-099. Quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm stuck thinking about the like quantum leap existence of these enemies that just shuffle from reality to reality where <laughs> they die and are immediately met with another Mario right. who wants to kill them. Right. Well, yeah, because that's how you get more time on the timer. Oh, okay. So like when you're sending an enemy to another player, you're sending them an opportunity to give them resources. You're oh, okay. So you're when you destroy an enemy. You gain time, and you also send the enemy to an opponent. Right. Okay. So you're you're knocking them back, and also moving yourself forward. Uh, I I feel like I would not be good at this, so I need a Super Mario 35 coach. I'm there for you. All right. I can do this. If we go back in time to uh, well, if I get killed by Mario, I'll wind up in someone else's game. Well, yeah, I'm not sure if I could give you good coaching for being the Goomba. Okay. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> something that hmm, <laughs> I've never... You know what? I wouldn't go to anyone else as a coach. Okay. All right. I can't imagine anyone being more prepared to coach someone in Goomba being. Oh, man. There's got to be like someone out there, like someone who made the um, the equivalent of the versus mode in the Valve zombie game that I forget the name of now Left, Left for, for Dead De- Left for Dead yeah mm. someone who made that except like you you're Mario and like the four uh, four other people are different enemies in the level <laughs> I was imagining Mario Horde mode but like that sounds <laughs> way cooler if there's just yeah. randomly distributed in a level for actual players who want to kill you. Right, right, right. There's got to be like someone who made that fan game and then played it with their friends for years. Like one <laughs> of them is going to be the people who can, the person who can tell you how to be an effective Goomba. They're training That's the Ivan Drago that I have to defeat. So. Right, yeah. But did this game exist before the time that you did uh, your Mario playthroughs? Yes. I never got the chance to play Super Mario 35 on my, my YouTube series, and I never will. Yeah. Dang. It does sound, it sounds really cool. I wonder if somebody's made like a, you know, the what's the Miu Mini knockoff version of this game? There's got to be, well, I mean, there doesn't got to be something. But. There, there, There is one. I've never played it because, so there's one called Mario Royale Deluxe. And I've okay. never played it because it like 
I was looking at the maybe this isn't the same one. There might be more than one of these. The one somebody sent me, I, I went there and it was like, oh, like here's there's six players online. That's not anonymous at all. <laughs> that's like that's a situation where like you you people are going to get to know each other. That's not what I'm looking for here. <laughs> I wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be like passing strangers on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go to mroyal.net. Mario Royale, six players online. Play now. Does it always say six players online? Uh, <laughs> it's maybe, those same six guys. It's probably the same. Yeah, probably yeah. The same we six could people. we could try it after the show. I don't, you know. <laughs> Was this just Super Mario Brothers? Was it? Like Super Mario Brothers three, or it was it was Super Mario Brothers. What would happen was that everybody, every player, would choose a level that they had unlocked, and those levels would be every everybody would play through the levels in order. The levels people had chosen in the order of those players' experience level. Mm. So, like the the players with a high experience level were more likely to, and would also have higher levels unlocked. So they were, and, and they were also more likely to choose high 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 levels. Which means that you there was a lot of like you play one one play one one again play one two play one one mm. play one one again play one three you know there was a lot of that and it, it would often take quite a while to get to you could you could use a warp zone which would skip ahead in the skip you ahead in the sequence but like I never found a value in like yeah I'm gonna let like if I could send other people to the harder levels that would help me sure. But- but I never found a value in like, yeah, why don't I just jump up, jump ahead to seven two, so I'll die immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, like the, the, this is like this is what I was getting at when like I was saying, yeah, play slowly, play at a walking pace. Well, mm-hmm. you when when the Lakitu storm shows up, you might still be in a position to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Play smarter, not faster. Right. Yeah, or harder, or better. Just play better than everyone else. That's the real advice. Yeah, that's coaching right there. That's right. <laughs> yep. There's some kind of metaphor for life in there somewhere. Here's like, a here's a printout of my win loss ratio. Just look at it and be inspired. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> be inspired to pay Jim to coach you today. <laughs> look how good I am. That'll be three ninety five. This seems like Jim. If you wanted to launch a streaming career, uh, that seems like something you would have done already. But <laughs> if you haven't and you wanted to launch a streaming career, that sounds like it would have been the way. Well, it would only go for six months. That's yeah, the problem. True. Or or maybe that makes it more valuable because it's more ephemeral. Your streaming career. That's right. As one of the poems we've done uh, said, nothing gold can stay. It's Garfield said. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. So wise. Are we ready for another topic? Let's go. I think so. Uh, this poem is called There's Not a Person Alive. Uh, is this by David N. Donahue? Do, you, do we know? As far as I could tell, yes. Okay. But Chris, you found this poem. Would you like to read it? Sure. You yeah. Can, you and can give us some context afterwards. Okay, sure. Um, it's a little long, so buckle in. There's Not a Person Alive by David N. Donahue. There's not a person alive proud of every word, not a person alive with the past pitch perfect, a stainless soul lying undisturbed, not a person alive who has what they need as needs are in the mind with imagination a rabbit hole unending and there's not a person alive satisfied with their shell and there's not a person alive who has not uttered life is hell and there's not a person alive when free from shame or worry that would bother inflicting misery takes the former for pain to keep on feeding and there's not a person alive without prejudice no matter who you are someone's demeanor could trigger your shit 
and there's not a person alive who's never felt debt, never felt useless, never felt like a prick, and there's not a person alive who has not failed many, yet to experience true life is to love endlessly. Praise the heavens for the day and night until gratefulness becomes greatness, and you're giving the globe your absolute everything. And there's not a person alive that doesn't deserve love, doesn't deserve redemption, the chance to rise above. And there's not a person alive who's not addicted to something, whether positive or negative, or our routines keep moving. And there's not a person alive who should have never lived, yet if they've chosen forgiveness, then maybe the spiral of sickness would no longer exist. And there's not a person alive, like you in the morning, whimsical smile through weary lids opening. And there's not a person alive, like you when you're you, pointless insecurities thrown aside, so the truth may shine through, and there's a person alive, like you. There's not a person alive, like you. Does this does this poem make sense? I, I think so. I, I just took it to meant, like, uh... I don't know. I, I took it a very face value reading, which is just that there are a lot of there are a lot of like bad things that humans all feel that kind of join us in some way. But but yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just like my brain is very smooth today. <laughs> <laughs> but like I could not I could not get a handle on this one at all. I'm guessing this is one that that probably benefits from having it it read by. The author, because uh, there is video here on the page. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's not how we roll here at Topic Lords. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, it's like a reading of the poem. So how I found it was, I was like, I wonder if there's poetry on TikTok. And then I looked that up, not on TikTok, found a Forbes article about rampant plagiarism on poetry TikTok. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I went on to TikTok to look at it. Pretty much everything that I found Almost everything was like, like cute, like relatively simple love poems, like what I would call high school core. I don't know sure. <laughs> how to describe that, but do y'all kind of know what I mean when I say high school core? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Um, like probably 95% high school core, like 5% like people being like poems that were like kind of dumb, like to be funny that I didn't think were that interesting. And then this one just randomly showed up a couple times and I was like, and then I read, I was like, oh, like to me, I liked hearing this message of like, everyone is, is joined in the negative aspects of humanity. But at the same time, like life is still like, you know, we still choose to live and to, to enjoy life. And, and there's only one you in the world. Yeah. It's, it's getting at the idea that uh, nobody is perfect. We are all unique and flawed in different ways. And those flaws make us interesting. And there is no one like you, uh, perhaps because of the ways that you have been shaped by negativity and these sorts of things. Um, I like a lot of the word choice here. I like that it ends with saying there's a person alive like you, and there's not a person alive like you. That's a neat little play on words. Yeah. I, I really liked that too. Also, there's one little segment, like, there's not a person alive who, like, hasn't felt useless or, like, hasn't felt like a prick. And I thought that was kind of interesting because those are, like, kind of opposites in a way. That sounds like a skill issue to me because I'm perfect and I've <laughs> never been a prick, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm reading this poem and I'm really not the... Uh... <laughs> Is this how you guys deal with things? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Get good. <laughs> My understanding of the Forbes article, it cited specific accounts that I 
didn't like specifically look for, but like there's there's a lot of like relatively simple short poems flo- floating around on TikTok that are catchy that people like, and then other people just steal them, and it's really hard to trace credit back because it's so short, and there's like so many people posting it, uh, and then and then like people will post poem anthologies and put them on Amazon as like books, <laughs> and like it's this whole thing. And I was like, wow. TikTok does have weird authorship issues where like because I I pull up TikTok basically going before going to bed uh, mm-hmm. I watch like food ASMR videos because I'm half stoned and half asleep and starving and <laughs> that's awesome. I will find the same guy doing the same ASMR video recommended to me from eight or nine different accounts Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just like stabbing chicken with a fork at high speed or something. And uh, <laughs> interesting. I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly, I don't know if this guy's name is Jeff or Chen or Mikey or what. Uh-huh. He's very popular out here. Have you Maybe seen- they are all legit and he's just the guy to get. Like when you run a channel, you hire this guy. He's got a whole industry. Mm-hmm. He stabs chicken best of anyone. <laughs> ha- have you seen those um it's called skull chef or something so there's like a a pot of these little like stone things and there's like this hand puppet skeleton who has a big ladle that's just stirring the ladle around (laughs) i haven't seen this but i'm i'm compelled already it's like kind of an asmr thing that started showing up for me because i often watch right before bed too so that'll is usually like interspersed in the feed like every day because it's a live thing oh cool and i'm always just like I don't know. It's it's kind of mesmerizing. Like this little like I can't describe it. It it's something to that to me feels so. This would not exist if TikTok if this like very specific format of like TikTok live didn't yeah. exist. Um, <laughs> I I get videos of hamsters spinning in wheels. Like there's oh, yeah. a lot of TikTok lives with just running hamsters <laughs> and like really heavy EDM in the background. <laughs> yeah, breakcore and. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. And they usually have a sign that's like, the hamsters are not being tortured. This is what they want to do. Watch. They just keep doing it. They enjoy Dragula by Rob Zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Love him. It's it's a weird app that TikTok. I could go on for I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. I think I, at some point I want to make something for TikTok, but it just seems like every concept is very esoteric. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is my dog, and we're going to ask my dog a question, and how my dog responds is going to be how everyone's day goes. And like, <laughs> it, here's your dog horoscope for the day. Barkley, <laughs> are you going to bark today? And oh, Barkley didn't bark. We should all stay in today. Barkley is in retrograde. Everybody stay indoors. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I miss the simpler times when you could just have a fish playing Pokemon <laughs> and wonder whether the fish liked Pokemon. <laughs> Do you think the fish enjoys it? If I were that fish, I would probably feel inadequate that I am not a Pokemon myself. Right. I wonder how much of this poem applies to fish. I don't know what the subjective experience of being a fish is like, but I'm sure there's some common threads. There's not a fish alive like you. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's go. Esper, your topic is the strange semi-parasocial relationship between a podcast editor and the people on the podcast. Yeah, so this is something I am confronting right this moment. Jim, I don't know if we've ever had a a voice conversation before. 
Yeah, I don't think so. Whoa. Uh, this is my first time speaking to either of you, I believe. But that being said, when you were talking about the insert key earlier, I was like, oh, yeah, I was there for that because yeah. I remembered editing it. And yeah. it's not quite the parasocial relationship that the listener of a podcast would have because it's something no one else gets to hear until I hear it. And also, I interact with you people ostensibly a little bit, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when I send you money on PayPal. <laughs> Which I very <laughs> much appreciate, by the way. Uh, and and it's it's just odd because I feel like I have some idea of who Chris Hall is and I'm familiar with, with Jim's tastes and preferences in many ways after I think more than a year. I think I can say years of doing this. Maybe it's coming up on two years. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's been a while. Yeah. I think that means that Esper Topic Lord episodes are the deepest possible Topic Lord's lore. Possibly. You're going you're gonna to have to get back to us about how – whether it's weird to edit your own voice. Oh, it is. I've, I've, <laughs> I had a podcast many years ago called Bracket, where it was me and four other people, which is too many people for a podcast, by the way. Uh-huh. And we would do a sweet 16 bracket of like best kinds of shark or best breakfast cereal, which at the time in like 2012-ish, I think we were doing it. Uh, it was a the idea of a podcast with structure was very new and interesting, <laughs> and I I learned to do a lot of podcast editing doing that show. I got very good at hitting deadline, and uh, I never got used to hearing myself. I have really enjoyed not being in podcasts, so this is a, a rare experience for me these days. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to edit this one? Because I because I can do that. Oh, I, I, got, I already got all kinds of dumb gimmicks I'm planning on working in. Like this sound effect right here, that one's just for you guys. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Every, place your bets on what it was now. My guess is uh, like a small horn honk. I think it's a cow. I think it's a cow sound. Okay. okay. Well, the listeners will let you know. Oh. Everybody email Jim and say whether he was right or wrong and email Chris, say whether he was right or wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So Esper, when you edit when you edit an episode, like how many times do you listen to each like word that is said? Is it like one? Is it like one point two? For for each word like individually, probably <laughs> five or six hundred times. Oh sorry. I mean I mean like uh, any any like specific I know. I'm, like, I don't I, I don't that's a good question. I'm wondering what the average would be. It's probably close to one point two. Well, okay. I, I think we have some data here. You were saying it takes you about six hours to edit a show. I, I would guess. Well, no, I would say it takes me six hours from getting a file to sending you a file. I would say maybe probably four of that is editing. Okay. And so the the show itself is like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, around there. So let's see. Four times 60 divided by 75 is 3.2. Yeah, that's probably... There you go. 3.2 times each word on average. But the raw audio is like two hours, right? It, it, it can depend. Uh, hmm. If there's a lot of... I, I often wonder whether I should include the pre-show material sometimes because it is a lot of times very funny and I listen to it every time. There's very little post-show, which 
with insert credit, at least there's a lot of people sitting around talking about whatever. So there's some, definitely some really good stuff that happens in the post show. Sure. <laughs> I don't, I've never heard any of it because the recording stops then. Yet another strange situation where I'm aware of things, but not aware of. Things. That's the protocol is I, I stop the recording when we end the show. Yeah. The pre-show stuff is definitely, uh, it's definitely up in the air. Like I, I will, when I'm editing the show, I will sometimes take a short conversation from it. But why not? I mean, if you're, or if you're listening to it and you fear something really good, why not have more? Yeah, I've, I've done it probably once or twice in the past where I'll have like a cold open where before the intro plays, there'll be a, a short little back and forth quip or something. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's rare that I end up doing that just because. A lot of times I'm like, well, I want to get to the, this to back to Jim as soon as possible. <laughs> right. Even though there's a pretty, pretty far lead time as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. We're, it's no longer six weeks. It's more like four or five now. Okay. But, Seems but more reasonable. Still, still plenty. Still plenty of lead time. How many times have you heard the the sting, the song? Quite often. <laughs> I've heard it enough that I... Jim, did you invent that? No, that now I wish I had spent a little bit more time writing that. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I think it's cute. I love that little little. It is, it is cute. It is cute. But I just kind of like, I made that intro in like, I don't know, probably less than an hour because I was like, I got to make an intro for the show. And okay, now we'll use it in the next 217 episodes. <laughs> Which is a, a big number, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thank that. you. Yeah. Yeah, same wow. same thing with the logo, which is bad. not a good logo, <laughs> but it's too late to change now. It's not like I know any artists. <laughs> uh huh. You could do the uh, 2024 HD remaster. You can re-record re the song with like a really like over the top super saw synthesizer with lots of reverb <laughs> and just like multi-track the vocal or whatever. I don't know. Whatever makes it sound over-engineered. You could get a, a a chorus to to sing Latin over it. Yeah, I could, <laughs> That's I could good. <laughs> I could use a sample of a swarm of bees, and the bees could be the chorus. It's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Everything my brain makes of what that would sound like is really unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it would just sound like the big dog. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they made it sound like that just so like? Just in case, like if it, if it kind of goes in case and does it meets it, so. a swarm of bees that they you know, like, oh yeah, we know you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right. that's true. Yeah. Oh, you speak our language. You're, you're free to go. No, I meant like, uh, in case it decides to go do its own thing, like at least you'll hear it, you know? Oh yeah. Like, so it's not, it's not a silent assassin. Yeah. Uh huh. Like they saw that one episode of Black Mirror where the dog thing is really quiet. And they're like, we better make it sound like a swarm of bees. Yeah, so they, they give it the, the Tesla backing up sound. <laughs> uh-huh. I wonder what I wonder what qualifications you have to have to be like the sound designer for the little hum song that electric cars make when they're like moving slowly. I think they just make you watch Blade Runner first. Yeah, they they probably they probably paid somebody on Fiverr. Yeah. To do <laughs> That's <it>. true. <laughs> Fiverr doesn't buy you too much in this economy. Sounds like something Elon Musk would do. He'd probably form out the <laughs> entire design of the car. He's just hum something and go, use that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> just steal LucasArts lightsaber noises. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, go for it. 
Yeah. Chris, your topic is struggle, struggling to relearn high school Spanish. Oh, yeah. I, I put this in the bucket. Uh, must have been like a month and a half ago because I was about to go to Mexico for my friend's wedding. Um, so I was like trying to figure out which apps and things I should use to like re-remember the three years of Spanish that I took in high school. I tried using this one called Babbel, which was recommended to me, but I think it was like a little bit too early. Like if you're just starting, I think it'd be good, but it, it was just like way too slow. Uh, I had this one flashcard app, so I, I learned a lot of random words like wall is pared, and um, I'm pretty sure I knew the word. Uh, there's some, I don't know, I've forgotten them since. But anyway, I tried listening to podcasts too in Spanish at like 0.75 speed. Um, with varying degrees of success because there's no, there's no like interactive feedback. So it's hard to like, like it's easy to just like brain gloss over stuff that I didn't know and just like listen to the stuff I did know. I do that with English language podcasts. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah jinx. <laughs> it, it was kind of fun to do that stuff. And it was really fun to like go to Mexico and like, be able to communicate a little bit, like using the skill that I gained many years ago with, I guess, the hope of using it in real life, like actually using it in real life and like talking to like some family members who didn't speak English at all. And like, we were just joking about how we each took language in high school and didn't remember anything <laughs> from it. Part was actually extremely fun. Like it was so much fun to, to like have that work a little bit. Yeah, I, that, that has to be gratifying to be, actually get value out of a language class. Yeah, I have a, I have the same thing where like I don't remember, I remember basically nothing from high school Spanish, but I have the excuse that I took first year Spanish three times. Really? Yeah. I went to three different high schools and each time I moved, uh, they, when they were placing me in a new class, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready for year two. <laughs> and so they just put me in year one again. And the same thing happened the second time. And then after that, I had taken three years of Spanish. And they were like, okay, you've taken enough foreign language classes. You don't need to take it again. Nice. I guess that sounds like a pro strat if you are not interested in, <laughs> in doing that at all. I, I, I'll tell you, I am so much more interested now than I was then. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> like I, would, I would love to learn Spanish now. Mm -hmm. I, now that I have no spare time. I, I feel like getting three years of level one is a speed run strat though. Yeah. That's gotta, that's <laughs> like, gotta get you the basics pretty well, at least for a year or so. And then you forget it all. Right. Yes. Can you just like, you just like, all right, speed run strat, copy all the homework answers from last year, all on the first week. And then like, <laughs> boom. Here's all my essays. Bye. Stop the clock. <laughs> I just write down Donde esta el baño for every, <laughs> everything. Uh, You're like, God, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my future includes trying to do more of this again. Oh, I guess another important aspect of this whole thing was like, in my head, I've like kind of vaguely wanted to try to do this for years, like for Definitely more than five years I've had this idea of like, oh, I kind of want to try to like, you know, start listening to a podcast in Spanish or something. And it just like every time I've tried to do it, it's just like, like, it's hard. It's not like listening to an easy podcast. <laughs> it's like studying. Yeah, it, it like it like physically hurts a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it wrong. But having that like, okay, on, at the end of October, 
like that's the day that's the due date for this thing and i'm gonna spend like i think i spent like maybe four weeks just doing this stuff a little bit every day um and yeah i felt good about that too i was like oh like this this vague notion that i've had of like oh i really hope to do this someday with a deadline totally just happened and, <laughs> and was everything i had hoped for that's awesome I've always wanted to learn Japanese. Uh, I have watched years and years of anime, and I feel like I can pick up some phrases, and that's about it. Uh, <laughs> right. I did watch a show recently that was both dubbed, but I was watching it on YouTube, so the subtitles were like hard burnt into the footage because it wasn't. It was an illegal upload, and mm. uh, that was very interesting. Because I watched it again after in Japanese with those same subtitles on. And I was like, I feel like I get this a lot better now. Mm. Uh, I felt like I was kind of understanding some Japanese there. So I recommend watching something in English with subtitles on. And then again in Japanese with those same subtitles on. Okay. Or Spanish, presumably. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if you... Like if you took a Japanese class, or maybe you've done that before. Like, what do you imagine I've, if I've, you did that? I've taken a swing at Duolingo. That's about as far as I've gone. Okay. Did like, did you ever hit a point where you you see something in the app and you're like, uh huh, I get it now. <laughs> the pieces <laughs> yeah. are coming together. I had been doing the app for maybe a month or two, and I turned on a live stream of Neko Atsume, which is a 24-7 live stream where fake digital cats just sit around a house. That's awesome. And I realized up in the corner, there was the names of cats. And I was like, oh, Shiro Neko-san. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's from Mr. White Cat. <laughs> that is as far as I've gotten of understanding written Japanese, I think. Sidebar that Neko Atsume VR, I think, just came out for meta quest like yesterday or something Ooh. i don't know if it's good but i'm gonna get it i don't really care yeah <laughs> i, I want to sit around with cats that's all i do in real life what was your overall assessment of duolingo as a way of learning japanese i got very into competing and being number one in my little group way more than i did learning japanese <laughs> i see did it help learn japanese or maybe yeah not so much? i I think if I had stuck with it, I would be in a much better place by now. Um, I was kind of learning phonemes and the, what is it, katakana attached. Mm -hmm. it, whichever one is not the hard one. If that's kanji or katakana, I don't remember. One of them mm -hmm. is like every word has its own symbol. And yeah, one of them that is one, like. That one's, that one's kanji. Yeah. I was learning katakana. Right. I So Topic Lord Jenny, I can't remember if we had this conversation on the show. I think I think we did. Um, but talked about, she talked about when she was using Duolingo, and this was probably years ago, so maybe it's changed back by now, but the gamification of it was making her learn a language less efficiently because she was always doing the mini game that gave you the most experience points for the least amount of effort in order to <laughs> maximize oh. her standing in the leaderboards, which was not the one that mm -hmm. she needed to do to learn the language most, most effectively. Sure. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that being an issue. Is that is that something that it, that that is still like a flaw in the design? Do you think? I don't remember. I don't feel like I had a choice between mini games a lot of the time. But the way that I would try and game the system was it would make you log in and you would do your daily lesson, and then at the end of like the the competition period, which was like two weeks or so, 
that's when you go in and you Duolingo for like two, three hours and use all your point mm. boosts and just smack everyone else in the face. And <laughs> otherwise, you're just doing basic maintenance to keep your streak going. So I don't know if that taught me Japanese, but I was able to uh, recognize Shiro Neko-san. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's definitely something. I I felt like when I was doing Babel, I felt like a lot of the time that I was face-to-face with the app was just like the app telling me that I did a good job for like doing one word. <laughs> so like the time I did one word in Babel, I could do literally like 20 flashcards in the other app with just flashcards that didn't have like all this like voice acting stuff and these like <laughs> like the production value on the flashcards app was much lower, but I actually think it was a lot more useful. It just wasn't teaching me like verb conjugations or anything. Sure. It's it's vocabulary. Yeah, but but the like I think that was also part of what turned me off of Babel was just like like I can't tell if this is trying to teach me something or if this is just trying to make me feel like I learned something. It's trying to keep you using the app. Continue to pay it for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Th- this is something that I'm curious if um I-, I didn't actually try this, but I wonder if like, you know, large language models AI is a good way to maybe learn language as like a conversation partner, like without having to actually go find someone because, you know, social anxiety. <laughs> the obvious danger I can see is like you just like learn some translations of words that are just completely wrong. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. This means starfish. Oh, that's really interesting. And then like, it actually <laughs> means house. Just hallucinating new languages entirely. Yeah. There, there's definitely a lot of that. Can you ask Chad GPT to just make up a new language and teach it to me? Wow. Oh, that, that's interesting. Probably. It would probably be like, Oh sure. Yeah. I've thought all of it through. Here's all, here's, the five rules of the language. And right. They don't make that much sense. <laughs> Number one, this word means horse and also assassination. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a YouTube video semi-recently about this constructed language called Tokipona, I think is what it's called. And the the like selling point of this constructed language is that it only has like 170 words total or something and and just like how you stack them on top of each other is how you achieve different meaning but it's kind of a cool video it's like a cool idea that seems like something in the realm of what chat gpt could create someday if you yeah. need to get someone communicating fast you just teach them this and mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of kind of a neat idea. Uh, that's all the time we have for topic lords wow uh esper if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet uh well if you're listening to topic lords i i Hope that I've done a good job. You've, you've and, found me already. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the internet. Um, I'm on Blue Sky. I am kind of on Mastodon. I'm I'm on there, but I don't post that much. Sorry. I'm having a good time on Blue Sky. It's just you search for Esper. That's me. I'm Esper.bsky.whatever it is. Uh, I also edit Insert Credit Show, which is a podcast by game industry veterans, Frank Cifaldi of the game, Video Game History Foundation, Brandon Sheffield, game developer, and Tim Rogers. Tim Rogers, really love that show. I've also started editing a new show called 52 Pickup with Gita Jackson and Alex Jaffe, talking about a comic book series that they both believe to be the most important comic book series of this century. So check those out. Is the comic book series 52 Pickup? It is 52, which okay. is a... 
2006 weekly series that came out once a week the whole year, which was not a feat that has been easily accomplished since. Wow. Yeah. Those both sound really cool. Check them out. And if you need an editor, hit me up. Yeah. You've heard the results. And uh, Chris, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I'm uh, at Mr. Chris L. Hall on on eggs on Twitter. <laughs> okay, all right. Oh. Um, I don't really use it. That I much. get it. Um, yeah. Thanks for yeah. having me. Oh no, I, I have to say, I have to say first. I have to say thanks so much for being on, and then you oh, say, sure. "Thanks for having me." <laughs> all right. It was such a great time. I can't wait to play this this knockoff Mario Royale game with you right after the end of the show. <laughs> which which might or might not happen. Yeah. We're about to increase the number of people playing that game by 50%. Or, right. or it just always says six to get you to go on. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!